Hi, I'm Vanessa Morris, and I'm a proud Yorta Yorta, Jajarong, and Wiradjuri woman, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Banksia, a weekly show celebrating First Nations music, arts, and culture. Banksia is broadcast live on Triple R from Wiradjuri country every Monday from midday to 1pm. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Listening to Three Triple R. My name is Vanessa Morris, and this is Banksia, and I'll be here with you up until 1 p.m. Wherever you are, I hope that you are going well. Uh, big thanks to Dylan for holding it down with Future Perfect over the past few hours. It's really nice to see them back in the studio and on the Triple R airwaves. And I would, of course, like to take a moment to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the first peoples of the land in which I'm joining from, pay my respects to elders past, present, emerging and future. I would also like to acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening in right now. Sovereignty has never ceded and it always was and always will be Aboriginal land and I would like to also express my solidarity with all Indigenous peoples here in so-called Australia and around the globe in the ongoing fight against colonisation. You are strong and I stand with you. As mentioned earlier, my name is Vanessa Morris and I'm a proud Yorta Yorta, Jajarong and Wiradjuri woman and this is Banksia, a show which is dedicated to First Nations music, arts and culture and as always it's really lovely to be here and today I'm going to be joined by a couple of special guests and first up I'll be having a chat with Caleb Nichols Mansell ahead of an artist talk that they'll be doing at McClelland and that is called Conduit for Country and it's in Langwarren on Sunday the 25th of February where they are also the based as artist in residence and Caleb is the founder of Black Space Creative Arts and Cultural Hub which is Tasmania's first Aboriginal owned and operated art centre and they also do work as cultural advisor for Dark Mofo as well I'm sure there'll be many other things that we'll be talking about shortly so looking forward to being joined in the studio by Caleb and in the second half of the show as well, I'll be speaking with playwright, novelist, uh, literary festival director and researcher Jane Harrison. And we'll be talking all about the 2024 Black and Bright First Nations Literary Festival, which runs from the 13th to the 17th of March. And this year we'll see the biannual festival host over 30 events with 80 First Nations artists of diverse backgrounds and genres across five days. Such a jam-packed and huge festival. So really looking forward to speaking with Jane about that later on in the show. And at the top there as well, I played the track Overdrawn, which is the latest single from Noongar artist and fellow Triple R broadcaster, Bumpy. And up next, I'm going to leave you with a track from Yurinda. This is from this week's Triple our album of the week as well and if you aren't familiar familiar so Yurinda is a project from duo Fred Leone and Sam Pankhurst and this is the track Nguyen which also means brother and I'll be back with you soon Melbourne's own Triple R. I'm now super excited to be joined in the studio by a special guest to talk 
all about a range of different things, and that is artist Caleb Nichols Mansell. And we'll be we'll be talking ahead of an artist talk that they will be doing at McClellan on Sunday, the twenty fifth of February, and that's called Conduit for Country. But Caleb does a range of other things as well. Uh, firstly, thank you so much for joining me today for Yarn. Um, welcome to Banksia. Yeah, thanks for having me, Vanessa. Yeah, it's so nice to have you here. And as I was mentioning, so you have a artist talk coming up um, called. Conduit for Country at McClelland on Sunday. Um, yeah, can you tell us a bit about that talk? Yeah, of course. So uh, the the artist talk Conduit for Country um, basically is just an opportunity for me to share some of the research um, and reflections on major works that I've had commissioned over the last couple of years and mm-hmm. a lot of those works uh, respond to country or interpret country in a site-based work. So mm-hmm. um, that's the reason I've titled the, the artist talk that. But yeah, it's part of my artist residency at McClellan's um, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and um, yeah, with the artist residency as well, so you've been there for a couple of weeks um, and doing a range of things. Um, yeah. yeah, can you tell us a bit about this residency? Yeah, so basically McClellan's, the Bonnerong Land Council and Service Stream, mm-hmm. uh, the guys that look after the freeway, um, put out a, an expression of interest for um, Aboriginal artists to apply to come and do a residency at McClellan with the, um, with the objective being that by... By the end of the residency, we'll submit a concept proposal for um, a significant public artwork, mm-hmm. um, sculptural public artwork, um, that will sit on Bonnerong country to, to respect and honour Bonnerong culture and history here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. how's it been um, over the last couple of weeks and just being really focused on yeah, exploring or developing works as a part of that? Yeah, it's been, it's, it's been really insightful. I've been lucky enough to be welcomed to country um, mm-hmm. by my cousins, actually, Gillian and Josh West, who come out to McClellan and done a beautiful smoking ceremony to welcome me here. And then alongside Dan Turnbull, who's the um, cultural consultant, I suppose, to McClellan um, and has done a lot of the interpretation of the sites that have been identified as potential locations for the Sculptural Commission. So it's been nice to, um, I suppose, find out some of that deeper history that's not more Mm well-known among the community, but also to, like, connect because... um, I don't know if listeners um, are aware, but Bonnerong and Palawa, Tasmanian Aboriginal people, have a connection. Our women were taken from the Bass Strait mm-hmm. Islands over to Port Nepean um, and became part of the Bonnerong community mm-hmm. through relationships back in the, you know, back in the day. Um, so to come over here and, and and make that connection and kind of explore those connections, stories, mm-hmm. and history has been something that's been really. Um, beautiful for me personally, but I think also important more broadly um, in relation to, to kind of building those networks and forging that reconnection of cultures. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's something I was actually wondering about. Um, yeah, because you are from Tasmania, for those listening in, and you're being based on Bonnerong country and exploring about, yeah, I guess, country down there and being on this that country and working on a piece of work for then you're kind of coming from Tasmania as well and that connection I didn't actually know about that myself which is quite interesting um is this something that you've always kind of known about or discovered through this work no I've always known about it so Tasmania Mm -hmm. you know our community is quite small we know Mm -hmm. where we come from and we can kind of track right back um to our old people and so through those stories that have obviously been passed down orally and not necessarily recorded um we've been able to identify, you know, that we have those connections um, mm-hmm. and that our women were taken from the Bass Strait Islands. So, yeah, it, it's, it's something that I've always known about, but it's not been until now um, that I've had the opportunity to come over and actually engage with the Bonnerong community um, and their culture. 
Yeah, something that's um yeah quite special and quite unique as well. And I know um, with your work as well and something when I was looking around about the work that you do and something that really connected with me is um, your belief in art as a mechanism for social change and influence. Um, can you tell us a bit more about what that means for you? Yeah, absolutely. I suppose that was kind of the... Um the premise for the the founding and cre- uh, creation of Black Space Creative. So mm-hmm. Black Space Creative represents 21 Tasmanian Aboriginal artists mm-hmm. and we showcase and sell their work online. But in addition to that, we act as, um, I suppose, a directory. We, we're able to um, link community artists up with commercial and institutional organisations um, which offer other opportunities for mob to be able to come into those spaces. But the thing that I found early on in, in the kind of founding of Black Space was art act, acted as a really beautiful um, bridge, I suppose, to, to have conversations. Quite often I feel when we have conversations about the history and particularly the dark history in Tasmania, mm-hmm. um, mainstream society seems to become quite um, precious and protective of, of their identity mm-hmm. and um, their inability, to, I suppose, to take responsibility for the past. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when you use art as the mechanism to start those conversations, mm-hmm. there seems you start from a place of appreciation. Um, mm-hmm. And so from that place of appreciation, you can then delve deeper and have those deeper conversations about why these cultural practices are so important, mm-hmm. why it's really important that we continue to maintain these cultural practices mm-hmm. and how far they go back to our old time and our old people who, who've done this for millennia. And so that's really kind of the catalyst for Black Space Creative and and our artists is to use our artwork as a way to tell our stories, to share our culture and to showcase that we're still very proud um, Mm -hmm. people. Yeah, it sounds um, amazing and I guess, yeah, that using work as a a mechanism for maybe uncovering a history that's maybe uncomfortable for different people but a conversation starter as well. Um, Through your work, is that something that you've found um, with people maybe responding to your works? Um, Yeah, absolutely. I've I've had a few major commissions in the kind of public art space and one of them that kind of stands out for me personally um, is a commission by the University of Tasmania in which they were looking for an Aboriginal artist to design um, several carpets for a new building that they were building as part of their campus redevelopment. Um, and for me, as a past student of the University of Tasmania and a past employee, I've I seen this as an opportunity to embed those cultural knowledges into the campus and create a visibility for our mob, which is typically lacking from these kind of institutions and spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the commission was called for um, the development of artwork and I took inspiration from Kanamaluka, which is the Tamer River or the, the main body of water that runs into Launceston. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was a really important source for our old people. It provided fresh water, um, the resources that come with fresh water and our river reeds and grasses and stuff that we would have made baskets with. So um, I was able to interpret the Tamer River and turn it into a series of eight carpets that now mm-hmm. feature throughout the main <clears throat> university's campus um, and the feedback from community, the feedback from staff and the feedback more broadly about how important that is um, Yeah, really just speaks measures. I mean, I remember reflecting on on the, the entire process and for me the important part or the, the really um, the part that hit home for me was I was able to take my siblings down to the university and Mm -hmm. and show them my carpets. And, 
you know, that they've already been within a university. I didn't get to enter a university until I was 22 because it was just something that didn't appeal to me. It, it, I, I didn't see myself within that environment and it mm-hmm. wasn't until I was kind of pushed to go to university that mm-hmm. I made that leap. But, you know, looking back and thinking about the fact that my younger siblings who are all under the age of 18 mm-hmm. have already been within the institution and can see themselves within the institution mm-hmm. um, is really beautiful, particularly given that the University of Tasmania is our only university in Tasmania. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite powerful um in these works that you have in the university and that you're like First Nations people can really connect to the space and see themselves in there. And that sounds so, yeah, beautiful. And you were mentioning earlier uh, founding Black Space Creative as well, which is Tasmania's first Aboriginal-owned and operated art centre and how the works that you've done or the kind of knowledge and conversations that you have um, that stem from the work and how that's been a bit of a catalyst to creating the hub. Um, can you tell us a bit more, more about the hub and what it means for arts in Tasmania? Absolutely. The, the, the Black Space Creative kind of come about off the back of an exhibition that featured a lot of prominent artists within our community, mm-hmm. elders and young folk. But the common theme throughout that exhibition in, in conversations was what happens post-exhibition. Mm. Like, you know, our mob as as community artists don't have a lot of opportunities to come together collectively. Mm-hmm. And so there was this conversation about this is so great that we're all here together and we're all showing our work together, but the exhibition only goes for a month. And then mm. what happens after that? And so through talking to some of um, our elders and quite respected artists within the community, I kind of identified a gap and that was that, you know, there was no authentic place in Tasmania where you could go and buy Tasmanian Aboriginal artwork Mm -hmm. and connect directly with the artist. Mm -hmm. Museums um, sell some shell necklaces and some Mm -hmm. shell bracelets, Mm -hmm. but you're buying them within an institution that houses collections that belong to us Mm -hmm. um, and you're unable to connect with the artist that's actually made them. And so that was the big part of Black Space Creative was making an accessible space where people can learn about the artist, Mm -hmm. potentially meet the artist and hear their stories around the inspiration and background to their creation. Mm -hmm. Um, We did have a physical space, but unfortunately just due to the kind of economic situation in Tasmania, we lost that space. Um, But we exist online and we've found that being online is actually uh, more beneficial because Mm -hmm. I suppose the main demographic or the people that are buying Tasmanian Aboriginal artwork aren't necessarily from Tasmania. They're Mm -hmm. they're from the mainland. Um, And we've even seen works go as far as Los Angeles Mm -hmm. um, and New York in America. So, you know, that kind of reach is something that I once dreamed about. Um, Mm -hmm. And now we've got artists with works sitting in collections over in the USA. So... Yeah, it's um, yeah, quite interesting how yeah the economic, uh, I guess, environment that we're in and seeing that uh, transition from a physical space to being online but then maybe focusing efforts online, which has enabled this broader reach as well. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, how has it been, I guess, in terms of since you started Black Space and seeing it, I guess, maybe evolve over time? How's that been? Yeah, it's it's been inspiring. I mm-hmm. think, if anything, what we've seen off the back of Black Space Creative um, is an increase in our artist confidence. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when I set out with Black Space Creative, I, I kind of said... Uh, we've succeeded when we don't have any more creatives Mm -hmm. because the whole purpose of Black Space Creative was to build the confidence, capacity and profile of our artists Mm -hmm. so that they could actually go and be independent artists in their own right Mm -hmm. and don't need Black Space Creative to kind of guide them. 
and we've seen that. We've had several artists now leave Black Space Creative. Mm-hmm. They've built their own websites. They've got their own following. Um, you know, they're making their own sales and managing all of that themselves, mm-hmm. which is something that Black Space took care of originally. Mm-hmm. But through, um, I suppose, mentorship and guidance, we've been able to build that confidence, build that um I suppose, knowledge and, and um, skill set. And we're now seeing the fruits of it in our artists now, you know, going off and creating their own brands, their own mm-hmm. um, collectives, and also an increase in Aboriginal business. I, I wouldn't go as far to say that Black Space was a pinnacle for that because um, Palawa and Tasmanian Aboriginal people have always been um, quite enthusiastic in terms of carving our own path and, and mm-hmm. making our own futures. But it really did seem that that Black Space Creative was kind of um, birthed. And then from there, we've had a, an increase in, in other Aboriginal businesses that have since launched mm-hmm. around consultancy, school-based education workshops, arts and culture. You know, the list just goes on. Yeah, um, really amazing to hear, yeah, that... Black Space creators create, uh, provided almost like a bit of a platform or a bit of a Launch space, board. yeah, like to really nurture um, the confidence and growth, and yeah, launching off into different initiatives, which is quite amazing to hear about that as well. And and I, I think it has two sides as well because it, it's it's absolutely that for our emerging artists who mm-hmm. are kind of just stepping into the space, mm-hmm. but also for our elders, some of mm-hmm. the elders that we've got on our website, they they don't have time or energy to um, market their works, Mm -hmm. um, to sell their works, to come up with communication plans and stuff to get their works out there. Mm -hmm. So Black Space acts as, um, I suppose, a mechanism for them to be able to be in this space Mm -hmm. without necessarily managing it all on their own. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as much as we've got people leaving Black Space, we've also got people staying with us because of what we provide and what we offer for our community artists. Mm. And it sounds like a really great place as well as a bit of a yeah arts community within Tasmania and maybe a way for people to connect with each other as well. Totally. I mean, we haven't had the opportunity yet because of COVID. We, mm-hmm. we kind of, we launched at the very start of COVID. So yep. it was a super weird time to launch a business. Mm. Um, and then, you know, as time's gone on, we've been in operation for about two and a half years now. Mm-hmm. But it, what we're now looking um, forward to in terms of further development is is creating those kind of spaces where we can bring artists together to hold workshops, um, to teach mob, um, mm-hmm. because there's so much knowledge among our community artists and there's so many mob coming up that, you know, are just hungry for that cultural and creative expression. So mm-hmm. to engage with them and bring them on board on with this journey would just be incredible. Mm-hmm. And um, another thing that you do as well, um, so you work as the cultural advisor for Duck Mofo. Um, yeah, how's that been? Yeah, it's been quite interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. I come on in a really um, weird time, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, well, I wasn't brought on. I come on board um, around the same time as the Santiago Sierra yeah. incident, mm-hmm. um, which was a traumatic. Um, a traumatic experience and moment for a lot of First Nations people, not just mm-hmm. in Tasmania, mm-hmm. but on the mainland and around the world more broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that moment, I again identified a gap yeah. in that the festival had no cultural advice. They had no mob on the inside working with them. And although it seems blatantly obvious to us mm-hmm. who have grown up in this space to... Um, artistic people in 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 that world mm-hmm. um it wasn't it wasn't super clear that 
that was deeply offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen that as an issue and I've seen that as an opportunity to build knowledge and raise awareness and to engage. And so since coming on board with Dark Mofo, we've managed to really kind of shape and shift some of the festival programming to really focus on and nurture um, First Nations creativity and culture within the broader program. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been achieved through music programming, art mm-hmm. programming and... Um, uh, events that are specifically designed for mobs. So mm-hmm. last year was probably one of our biggest events um, and that was the gathering. We had Barker, Tasman <laughs> Keith. Um, we had uh, a lot of musicians from our own community. Denny, um, mm-hmm. Marlon and Rulla mm-hmm. came down from Adelaide. Um, it, it, it was it was crazy, but it was, it was also kind of that moment where we realised that all of that work that had been done in the years building up to that had been worth it and we'd mm-hmm. really built a culture within Dark Mofo that acknowledged and respected First Nations culture, knowledges and history. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really proud of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember you know, when the Santiago um, incident had happened and the uproar and especially from First Nations people um, in response to that yeah, quite a really intense conversations going on online around it. Um, So I could imagine, yeah, going into that space from a cultural advisor perspective would have quite challenging aspects to it as well. Um, Yeah, yeah, how was that? It was difficult. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. being completely honest, it was really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, There was backlash from my community. Mm -hmm. There were backlash from mob on the mainland. Mm -hmm. um, And there was backlash from mob right around the world. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was always told from a very young age that you've got to be at the table to know what's on the menu. Mm -hmm. Um, And I truly believe that. If we're not in the room, how can our voices be heard? Mm -hmm. We can't expect that white people or, or the mainstream society are going to understand and value our knowledges as deeply as we do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, it was so important that Dark Mofo and that organisation more broadly had cultural competency and understood cultural sensitivity. Mm -hmm. And they were the two things that I really felt were lacking around that decision-making with that artwork. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I said, over a a period of three years, we've we've really managed to um, change that and and shape a culturally safe environment. Yeah, quite a big task and you're hearing about, um, yeah, maybe Dark Mofo, since you've been working there in that role, um, has come a long way as well and having events like the one you were mentioning with, yeah, Barka and Tasman Keith and Denny and a lot of amazing First Nations artists there as well. I could imagine that that would have quite a really, I don't know, kind of healing or kind of a beautiful opportunity for Mob to connect as well um, following all of the stuff you've men- mentioned around, um, yeah, I guess what's kind of brought you to Dark Mofo, so quite important work that you're doing there. Mm. And, um, yeah, with your creative practice as well, so you work in a range of different mediums. Um, can you tell us about that? Yeah, I'd say predominantly I work in, like, um, digital media. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of my work or a lot of the kind of commission work that I do back at home um, is around graphic design and graphic artwork for mm-hmm. organisations and corporations. Um, But outside of that, you know, I'm an artist and I'm a storyteller. And Mm. so however I can tell story um, is is, um, how I create art. I've recently just started 
um, painting and it, it's, it's been really special because I've um, actually managed to get hold of some ochre and so using ochre pigments mm-hmm. um, and parts of my own body. Like I've recently done a painting um, called Blood, Sweat and Tears um, and it's just red ochre um, mm-hmm. with my literal blood, sweat and tears mm-hmm. mixed into the ochre to mm-hmm. create a medium that I can then paint with. Yeah, right. Um, you know, and so moving into that more physical space um, in terms of using my body and really um, embedding my spirit and energy in my work has been something that I've enjoyed. But like I was saying before we jumped on air, I've got my sewing machine here, mm-hmm. so I get into a bit of textile work. Mm-hmm. Um but, yeah, predominantly graphic design and digital art. Mm-mm. Yeah, wow, quite powerful, yeah, bringing your body into the works as well um, and, yeah, using the blood, sweat and tears in some ochre um, and painting and that sounds, yeah, really powerful. And for those listening in as well, so I've been having a chat with Caleb Nichols uh, Mantel ahead of an artist talk that they'll be doing called Conduit for Country at McClelland down in Langwarren. And that's this Sunday, the 25th of February. But they're also the uh, current artist in residence there and working on a piece that we'll hopefully see installed down on Boonarung Country at some stage um, in the future as well. Um, is there anything else, I guess, that you're working on that you want to tell us about while you're here or...? Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think that this this current um, artist in residency has been really special in that it's actually brought four um, well known Aboriginal artists from around the country mm-hmm. into McClellan's mm-hmm. um, to have this opportunity. I think it's important to mention that the opportunity was also extended to the Bonnarong community first, mm-hmm. but the Bonnarong community felt as though that. Um, their, their community artists didn't have the skill set um, or the knowledge to undertake a commission of this scale and mm-hmm. were quite happy for McClellan's to engage externally along with consultation directly oh, yeah. with the Bonnarong. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm one of four artists that have um, travelled here and, and have li- have lived on Bonnarong country for the duration of the residency. Mm-hmm. Um, and all four of us have submitted concepts or will submit concepts to McClellan, the Bonnarong Land Council and Service Stream, who will then make an assessment and choose one um, mm-hmm. sculptural artwork to proceed. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Kelly, look, thank you so much for joining me today on Banks here to talk all about the work that you do. You do some quite amazing work and quite important work, especially down in Tasmania um, around Aboriginal art. Um, I'll put up more information to everything on the Triple R website later on. But, yeah, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Vanessa. Yeah, I'd love to have you back again soon. But Yeah, for sure. Yeah, all the best. Triple R. You're listening to Bangs here on 3RRR. My name is Vanessa Morris and I'm now super excited to be joined on the air by playwright, novelist, literary festival director and researcher Jane Harrison to talk all about the 2024 Black and Bright First Nations Literary Festival which runs from the 13th to the 17th of March. Firstly, Jane, thank you so much for joining me today for a chat. Welcome to Bangs here. Oh, pleasure, Vanessa. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so great to have you here. And as I was mentioning, so we're here to talk all about the 2024 Black and Bright First Nations Literary Festival, which runs next month. And it looks like an incredible program with a lot of events and artists on there. Um, Yeah, can you tell us a bit about the program and what people can expect this year? Sure. We've got um, over 30 events across uh, the days. Um, mm-hmm. Mainly, most of the program is on the Saturday and the Sunday. Um, we have over 
I think there's 80 First Nations storytellers and writers uh, programmed and so there's something for everyone. We try to make it as diverse as we can. Mm-hmm. We've got everything from um, award-winning writers, um, Melissa Lukashenko, Kim Scott, Tony Birch, mm-hmm. um, right through to very new writers mm-hmm. and so uh, in programs such as events such as Young Black and Bold where we get young writers um, to discuss their uh, the things that they're working on now, mm-hmm. which is really exciting. We have uh, a young tent embassy with mm-hmm. activists talking about their passion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got poetry, we've got memoir, we've got a music event called Stories Behind the Songs where you get to hear some fantastic musicians talk about how they developed their storytelling through music. Uh, yeah, um, so many events uh, Yeah, so many events and such a jam-packed five days that, yes, these artists and writers of diverse backgrounds and genres as well, Um, and looking through the lineup where you have uh, different kinds of writers from musicians and poets through to established um, writers as well. Yeah, how was that, I guess, in terms of developing this program and pulling it all together? Yes. Well, we try to do something fresh and new every year. We run mm-hmm. this um, program every two years. And so um, it's a matter of, you know, seeing the zeitgeist who's who's um, producing new works and mm-hmm. programming all those new writers. We've got some new um, YA writers that we're really excited to bring to the the stage Mm -hmm. and we find writers from across Australia so Mm -hmm. this year we've got an event called Quaiti Araway which brings us um, a film uh, with First Nations uh, poets Mm -hmm. on country at Alice Springs Mm -hmm. and uh, talks about country and their inspirations for their poetry um, their running, uh, they're part of a group called Running Water Community Press. And mm-hmm. so that's an exciting new event um, in our program as well. So, yeah, we just try and um, find new, great, bold, uh, black uh, talent mm-hmm. from across Australia. So... Yeah, really exciting, um, this program and yeah, all of the people that will be uh, performing or presenting as a part of this uh, Black and Bright that's coming up in a few weeks from the 14th to the 17th of March. And this year's theme as well is Black Futures Now. Um, yeah, can you tell us a bit about the theme and what it means to the festival? Yes, um, of course last year was a, quite a momentous year in our history uh, with the referendum happening mm-hmm. and I feel that there was a bit of a, um, a sense of uh, kind of disappointment after the referendum in terms of how the Aboriginal community was feeling about that mm-hmm. but we kind of um, dusted ourselves off and I think it's really important to look to the future and to be positive and talk about all the strengths Uh and so this is very much a strengths-based program Uh and so what's next for us? Uh Um, We're really inviting our guests to unpack that. Um, We've got fantastic um, keynote from Leah Purcell and she's got a strong history in performing, writing, producing, directing. Uh Uh, So she's going to set the tone for the festival in terms of um, 
talking about her all her achievements, which is great, but also looking forward to what's next mm-hmm. for us as a community. Yeah, it sounds like you're yeah, following the big year that 2023 was for First Nations people and community and this upcoming um, Black and Bright uh, First Nations Literary Festival sounds like a really amazing opportunity to bring uh, mob and community together and have conversations in uh, safe spaces as well, um, which will be quite powerful. Um, yeah, how do you feel about, I guess, yeah, bringing everyone together for these jam-packed five days? Yes, I think it's really important um, for our community to reconnect with mm-hmm. one another mm-hmm. after after last year. Yeah. Um, and these are vehicles for doing that, where um, you can come together and hear your um, heroes and people who inspire you and mm-hmm. get an insight into some new writing as well. Mm-hmm. But it's really also important for non-Aboriginal people to come mm-hmm. along and yeah, yeah. to understand our stories mm-hmm. and to feel welcome in that space as well. It's not an exclusive space for First Nations people. It's mm-hmm. for everyone. Yeah, yeah. We like to share stories. It's mm-hmm. really important. Stories are who we are as human beings. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important that we um, share those stories and... Uh, build the audience and readership for First Nations uh, writers and storytellers. Mm-mm. Yeah, a really great opportunity to yeah, invite uh, the broader community to come along and connect with First Nations uh, liter- literary um, spaces as well. And yeah, with this um, lineup and seeing how many events there are and how many people are involved in it as well, um, from your perspective in terms of that First Nations literacy space, um, it seems to be growing. Can you tell us a bit about yeah, how you have seen things over the years? Yes, well, this festival first started in 2016, mm-hmm. and since then we've just seen exponential growth in terms of um, people entering the literary space. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got Lots of new novelists, storytellers, mm-hmm. poets, spoken word artists, musicians now um, finding their place in our, um, you know, diverse um, spaces. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's really exciting. Like, I, I was just um, blessed to be able to find uh, writers who have just put out their first YA book or book of short stories or poetry collection and bring those and put those in front of an audience uh, as well, yeah. Yeah, um, quite yeah, special and with this festival as well. So there's a range of venues around the CBD of NAM, including uh, the State Library of Victoria, the Edge at Federation Square, um, Capitol Theatre and the Wheeler Centre, um, a nicely spread out uh, event o- or events over the five days in March, which is really exciting and yeah, a nice mix of workshops, uh, keynotes, panels, music events and for a range of different ages as well and one that I did notice um, education day which is on the 14th of March and it's for uh, students in years 9 and 10 can you tell us a bit about that event 
Yes, again, that's a partnership we do with the State Library of Victoria, oh, yeah. and we're excited to do that mm-hmm. um, every every festival. Yeah. Um, it brings in school groups and puts them in front of a panel of four YA writers. Mm-hmm. So this year we've got Curly Saunders, Melanie Sayward, Graham Atkins, and actually myself, because yeah. I have a play on the curriculum, mm-hmm. uh, Rainbow <laughs> Zen. Um, and so uh, they get to hear from the writers themselves, they get to do workshops with those writers um, in, uh, uh, you know, spaces uh, in the library, and we also have uh, a panel of um, called First Nations Monologues, mm-hmm. which is excerpts from plays that have just been performed in the last few years around Australia. First Nations plays, and two actors. Um, deliver those monologues mm-hmm. and so they get insight into in fact one of the plays is a play that's just about to um, launch at Melbourne Theatre Company in a couple of weeks as well so yeah they get to hear them fresh oh yeah yeah it sounds like a really great uh, opportunity for younger people to engage with um, First Nations Literary as well and another event as well that I noticed um, Black Book Club which you'll be there talking about the themes of your novel and play other visitors Um, can you tell us about that event? Oh yes so that we've got the amazing Daniel Browning who's one Mm -hmm. of Australia's best interviewers I think Mm -hmm. and he will um, drill down with Melissa Lukashenko who's just won the Victorian Premier's Literary Award for Eden Glassy historical novel and also my historical novel The Visitors mm. and so uh, yeah I'm looking forward to that and um, and we hope that people get to read the books prior to coming to that session so mm-hmm. they've got lots of really great questions for mm-hmm. us yeah really yeah really exciting um, is there anything else about the festival that you want to tell us about while you're here or maybe people could visit the website to find out more Yes, visit the website. Mm-hmm. Most of the program is free, mm-hmm. so we try to remove as many barriers to accessibility as possible, and mm-hmm. cost is one of them. Um, for the few events that are um, paid, mm-hmm. ticketed, um, we do have um, mob prices as well, mm-hmm. and so they're a little bit cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't turn anyone away, so even if you can't afford to come to a session, contact us and... Um, explain your circumstances and um, that should be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are live streaming for those oh. people who um, who don't have uh, access to the city um, mm-hmm. on the Saturday and the Sunday. We'll be live streaming the program that's at the Wheeler Centre yeah, in great. Melbourne. And yeah. so that, um, that link to the live streaming will be up on our website next week. Ah, yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, for those listening in, so being you're having a chat with Jane Harrison, ahead of the 2024 Black and Bright First Nations Literary Festival, which runs for five days um, in March, and it has over 30 events with 80 First Nations artists of diverse backgrounds and genres. I'll put up more information to that on the Triple R website and also links to the Black and Bright website where you can find out more information. Um, and it's exciting to hear that it will be accessible via a live stream as well. Uh, Jane, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to the festival, but, yeah, it's fairly, been really great to hear all about it. Thanks so much. Yes. I hope to see you there. Come yeah. up and say hello. Of course, we'll definitely <laughs> do that. Thank you. <laughs> see ya. Thank you. Melbourne's own Triple R.
You've been listening to Banksia on 3 Triple R. My name is Vanessa Morrison. That's about it for the show today. I've been really lucky to have a couple of special guests. And earlier on, I had Caleb Nichols Mantle, and we spoke all about an artist talk that they'll be doing this weekend at McClellan in Lang Warren. And I just also had a chat with Jane Harrison about the Black and Bright First Nations Literary Festival, which is happening next month. And it's an incredible festival that'll see over 30 events with 80 First Nations artists of diverse backgrounds and genres across five days. And yeah, I'll put up more info, info to both of those on the Triple R website later on. And until next time, I hope you have a really beautiful week and I'll see you back on the Triple R Airways next week. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Banksia, a weekly show celebrating First Nations music, arts and culture. Banksia is broadcast live on Triple R from Wurundjeri Country each and every Monday from midday till 1pm. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to keep in touch at rrr.org.au or follow Banksia on Instagram at Banksia RRR.